and turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. We've been on the House on the Rock series for a long time. We finished that up last week. So now I'm just kind of free to preach and whatever on Sunday nights until unless the Lord leads me to start another series. But this message I want to preach tonight is one that... One thing that you'll notice sometimes in the Old Testament, and many times in the Old Testament, where you'll see a story in there that that's you know sometimes it seems like stories just kind of thrown in there at random, but nothing in the Bible is in there at random. It's all there on purpose. Everything, every little detail. I mean, the whole Word of God is inspired. And sometimes when you read a story in the Bible, you can kind of see a parallel story to maybe something else that happens in the New Testament. Maybe something in our own life. And I was reading the book of 2 Kings one time in chapter 5, and it's the story of Naaman the leper. And I was reading that story, and I started noticing all these different things that seem to represent things that we have in common as Christians. And I thought it was really interesting, and I started taking notes on it. And it just really excited me. And so we're going to kind of go through, we're going to, we're not just going to read a text right now, but we're going to start reading in verse 1 and we're eventually going to go through 
the whole chapter. And so I'm going to start reading there in verse 1. And it says, Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Uh, a leprosy in the Bible, you probably know what that is. It was a very gross, disgusting disease. It was a, it was a disease in the flesh that was, uh, it was an unclean disease. In the Old Testament law, if somebody had leprosy, they would, uh, they would cover their mouth if somebody would come around them and they would yell unclean. And it was a warning to people to stay away because this uncleanness here, it's contagious. It's something that you don't want to get. And it's also incurable. It cannot, it cannot be cured. And leprosy in the Bible, I believe, uh, whenever we read about lepers or leprosy, it's a representation of our sin. Spiritually, at one time, we all, uh, before we were saved, we were all spiritually lepers. We had an incurable disease. Uh, it was something that uh, no doctor could fix that same condition. No person, no works that we could do, no diet that we could go on could fix that disease of uh, sin that we had in our life. And Naaman, and many people like Naaman, they might be good, honorable people. I mean, it says a lot of good stuff about Naaman here. It was, he was a mighty person. But he had, he had one problem. He was a leper. And that leprosy was eventually going to take him out. This guy who had probably fought many great battles and was very uh, victorious, this man was about to be taken out by a horrible, horrible disease. And you know, there's a lot of people in the world today that in our, according to our standards, are good people. Uh, according to our standards, they, I mean, they're uh, honorable people or mighty people. They've done some great things. But one thing that everybody has in common is that we're all sinners. And leprosy, it always represents sin throughout the Bible. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6 uh, says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Our righteousness is like a filthy rag, and that's talking about the rag of a leper, the cloths that they would cover themselves up with, their oozing, pussing sores that they had. I mean, it was, they were disgusting. I mean, it was something that nobody wanted to touch. Nobody wanted to be around. They would take and they would, they would just throw them away. They would get rid of them. And that's what we are like in the eyes of God because of our sin. And so whenever we, when, so when we read this story, I want you to always think about Naaman. Think of him as just a sinner. A lost sinner. Naaman can represent, he can, he can represent any one of us before we were saved. Or anybody that you know that is lost, Naaman represents the sinner. He had an incurable disease, just like sinners, they have an incurable disease, that disease of sin. Naaman had nowhere that he knew of to turn to. Naaman didn't know what to do. I imagine Naaman being the mighty man that he was, he probably went to all the best doctors that were around. And he probably tried to get their advice, but there was there was really nothing they could do. And it says in verse two, and the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife, and she said unto her mistress, Would God, my lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him 
of his leprosy. Naaman had obviously been concerned about it. Naaman had obviously been trying to do everything that he could do, but he couldn't find anybody that could help him with this disease. And then there's this little maid who had been taken captive, a young Jewish girl that waited on Naaman's wife. She's here and she tells him about a man named Elisha. And she said if he could get to that man of God, he could recover him of his leprosy. That little maid there, I want you to think about her as she represents the Christian or soul winner. All Christians are supposed to be soul winners. All Christians, when we uh, when we're around people, maybe family members or friends, and people are talking about the different problems and things that they're facing in their life, all those problems that they have are a result of sin, and we need to make sure that we tell them about the one person who can heal them of that problem, who can give them deliverance of that disease. But this little maid, she was taken captive. By Naaman's army, you know she could have been, she could have had a bad attitude about that. Say, so, you know what, this guy that took me captive, that has me as a slave, has got an incurable disease. You know, I know somebody that could heal him, but you know what, this guy, I'm going to let him get what he deserves. But you know what, she didn't do that. She told, she tells Naaman's wife about this man of God, and you know, in a way, we're captives in this world. But you know what? God has kept us here so we can win others. The truth is, we don't always fit in with this world. We're not, we're not like this world, and we're also not always liked by this world. Sometimes you can be, you might be treated terrible by people, but we have a responsibility that when we have the opportunity, we need to tell other people, God left us here, He left us here, for a reason, when we got saved, God doesn't just automatically rapture us up to heaven. He's got something here for us to do. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from evil. Jesus didn't want God to take us out of the world right then, but He did want us to stay away from evil. And then in verse 20, He says, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on Me through their word. We're here. Jesus has left us here for a specific reason so we can tell other people. So other people can come to Christ through our witness that we give. We can tell them about Him. And thank God for Naaman's sake that there was this young girl here who told Naaman about this man of God. And we're captives in this world, but we need to be telling people that's why we are here. This is not our home. This is a place. We're like Abraham. We're sojourners in this land. We're just kind of passing through. We're on our way to a better place. But we're not there yet. And in the meantime, we need to be trying to recruit as many people as we possibly can. The greatest opportunities for soul winning, they don't always come on the street. Many times they come at the workplace or around the people that you spend your life with. With this little girl here, it was with her master's wife. She was a slave and she obviously sees what they're going through. And I don't know, maybe one day she was there and her master, she's helping her master's wife and she's taking care of things. And maybe Naaman's wife is crying. And she sees that she's hurting, and she sees that she's, you know, wanting her husband to be okay. But they have no answers, they have no hope. And this little girl tells them about somebody who can give them hope. And that's what we've got to do for this world. 
Notice this little maid's name. It's not mentioned anywhere in this story. And I believe that's a reminder to us that we're just instruments that God uses to bring people to salvation. The truth is, we don't save anybody. I've had people say that before. You know, I, I thank you for saving me, Pastor Tommy. And I know they, I know what they mean by that. They haven't learned all the terminology yet. But the truth is, I don't save anybody. I can tell people how to get saved, but I've never saved anybody in my life. I can't even save myself. And the truth is, when it comes to salvation, the only name that is important is Jesus Christ. I don't listen. I don't care who leads somebody to the Lord as long as they truly get saved. And we're. You know, it's not about building a name for ourselves. And this little maid's name, it's not mentioned anywhere in this story. And I think it's a reminder to us that it's not about us, it's about Christ. So she tells her wife about this prophet that could help him. And then in verse 4, And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman my servant to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. Notice what Naaman does. Naaman does something that pretty much everybody does today when it comes to getting cleansed from that disease of sin that we have. Naaman goes and he gets, oh, they get, the king gives him all these treasures to take to the man of God. I mean, all kinds of gold and uh, uh, changes of raiment and silver. I mean, 6,000 pieces of gold. I mean, that's, that's, a lot, that's a lot of money. He gives these great treasures. And you know what? The king obviously thought that this man, he was a good enough warrior that he was worth that money. Naaman, had, uh, he, he would have been willing to give everything that he had to, for his life to be spared. And Naaman's, rep, uh, Naaman's treasures, I believe, represents works for salvation. Most people today, when it comes to getting saved, they think, I've got to be good enough. I've got to do some great thing. I've got to get baptized. I've got to speak in tongues. I've got to, you know, go to church all the time. I've got to read my Bible every day. I've got, got to do all these things. I've got to give money to the church. I, and they come up with all these things and they think if I do these things, that will save me. And so Naaman, he kind of does the same thing. He gets all these treasures together and he's going to bring them to Elisha and he's got a letter from the king and everything and then they're thinking for sure Elisha, when he sees all these treasures and everything that's brought, he is going to heal me for sure. And people think that's the same thing with God. They think that they can bring all their gifts to God and do all these great things for God and God is going to look at that and be impressed and God is going to save them. And boy, that is so far from the truth. Our works do not impress God. I mean, He wants us to do the best that we can, but when it comes to salvation, our works don't do us a bit of good. And so, it says in verse 7, And it came to pass when the king of Israel had read the letter that he rent his clothes and said, Am I a God to kill and to make alive that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. 
And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So right here we have Elisha that's mentioned. Elisha, I believe, is a representation of Christ. Alright, so we've got Naaman. He's the center. We've got the little maid. She's the soul winner. She's she's the saved. She's the Christian. We've got Naaman and his treasures. He's trying to earn salvation. Then we have Elisha. He represents Jesus Christ. The name Elisha means salvation of God. And so, Elisha represents Jesus Christ. So Naaman comes and he's going to bring all these gifts to Elisha. I mean, I imagine uh, there he probably had several camels and things. I mean, there's probably a whole caravan that comes along with Naaman to bring these things. It was probably impressive looking. I imagine they got people's attention as they start coming in his town. And then verse 9, So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And notice what it says in verse 10, And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. So he's at Elisha's house, and Elisha's in the house. But notice Elisha's not impressed by all these gifts that are brought. Elisha's not impressed by the fact that this is Naaman the Syrian. Naaman the mighty man of valor. Elisha's not impressed. And he goes and he just sends a messenger. And he says, go tell Naaman to dip in the Jordan River seven times. That messenger, I believe, represents the Word of God. I believe it represents the Word of God. This is how people know how to get saved. It, Jesus Christ Himself, does, did, when I got saved, He did not show up in my bedroom that night of April 30th, 1986. He didn't show up and say, Tommy, here's how you get saved. The way I learned how to get saved was through the Word of God. There's a lot of people today. It's like, you know, I, I'm not going to believe in God until I see Him. Well, then you're never going to believe. Because you're not, he's, not going to reveal, he's not going to show Himself to you that way. He shows Himself to us through His Word. And the messenger that He sends, I believe, represents the Word of God. And so notice also, though, and another reason I believe that it represents the Word of God, is notice how He goes and He tells them, alright, you want to be cured of your disease? Go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Pretty simple, isn't it? Not real complicated. You know the plan of salvation? It's simple. It's not, it's not complicated. It's not hard. In fact, that's many times the reason so many people just can't seem to get it. It's like that's way too easy. That's way too simple. But the plan of salvation, it is simple. The plan of salvation, it's settled. God's not going to change His mind and say, well, you know what? People don't like this whole simple faith and trusting in my Word. I'm going to change the plan of salvation. I'm going to make it I'm going to make it a little more impressive. I'm going to I'm going to make it a little more, uh, you know, modern to fit with today's culture. I'm going to make it a little more, a little more trendy, a little more hip. I'm going to do, you know, no, God's not going to change it. Salvation is always going to be by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's always going to be a simple plan. He's not going to complicate it. 
just to impress people. And so he goes and tells them this simple plan. Now you would think that Naaman, after he hears him say that all you have to do is go wash in the Jordan River seven times, well, you'd think Naaman would have been jumping up and down and saying, that's it? That's all I need to do? I mean, you'd think he'd have went running for the river. But it says in verse 11, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Parpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman's anger, I believe it represents the lost sinner who doesn't want to humble himself and rely completely on the Word of God. Notice, I imagine Naaman, he's probably a little insulted. Man, I brought this whole caravan. I mean, I got all this money together and Elisha didn't even show his face. He didn't even come out and you know look at all these wonderful gifts that I was about to give him. Elisha didn't even seem to care that I was there. And he goes and he tells me to just go dip in the Jordan River seven times. How pathetic is that? You know, there's better rivers in Damascus. Why didn't he tell me to go to those places? You know, I believe that I believe if Elisha would have come and said, Naaman, I want you to go on this quest to the other side of the world, and you've got to find this river there. And if you dip in that river, uh, then you know you've got to go through all these horrible things to to get to this place. Then you'll be recovered. Naaman would have done it in a heartbeat. If Elisha would have told Naaman, you need to go defeat this army of Israel, I believe Naaman would have done it. He was a warrior. If he'd have told him, you know, go slay a dragon or something, he'd have been all over that. And you know, the crazy thing is, many people today, if we would, if you told them, if they came and said, I want to be saved, and you said, all right, and then you gave them some big list of things they had to do, well, they'd love to do it. They do it. I mean, people want to earn salvation. But they don't understand it can't be done. And the truth is to completely trust in the Word of God and to trust in Jesus Christ, it does take humility. And Naaman being the mighty, well-known man that he was did not have that humility. And he gets angry. He wanted the prophet himself to come out and work some miracle. Many lost people feel like they should be able to see God or see a miracle before they believe in Him. But you know what the Bible says without faith? It's impossible to please him. And so, Naaman, he's mad. He doesn't want to do it. He'd rather go to Abana or Farpar. And I looked up those, those names. Abana, it means made of stone or a building. Did you know that many people today, when it comes to picking a church, a lot of times it's, they judge it completely on the building. Now, I thank God. I thank God that we have this building that we have. I'm thrilled to death about it. When we originally planned on starting this church, we planned on meeting in a storefront, or we even looked at some uh, other free places, you know, just community centers and things that we could meet in. And did you know it's very hard, it's, it's very hard to get a church going in those places? Because you know why people look at that, and it doesn't really look like a church. It doesn't really look like a place that has the answers. But let me tell you, it's not the building. Alright? We do. We have a nice building here. But this building is not going to help anybody get saved. 
And many people today, that's what they judge it on. They go and they look at maybe some place they've got this big, beautiful, you know, cathedral, and they see that it's like, wow, that place is so amazing. They must have all the answers there. I, I guarantee, I know I could find Jesus at that place. But let me tell you, you can find Jesus Christ, and it's where you find Jesus Christ, you can find him anywhere. Anywhere His Word is being proclaimed. And you know what? Back in the early church days, many times they met in caves. And let me tell you, I believe that there were services that took place in those caves that were probably greater than any that have taken place in some of the biggest, most beautiful churches in this world. It's not about the building. But many people look at that. And I believe that Abana represents other religions or church buildings. People look at they they want to see that impressive stuff. They get they get impressed when they see that you know that priest up there and that fan, those fancy robes and doing all these fancy things and I mean you've got you've got all the big beautiful music and everything and I and I'm not against fancy stuff, but let me tell you that does not help save you. That is not that's not where you're going to find truth in those in buildings and in, in fancy things. Far part means that produces fruit. I believe it's it's human nature for some reason for us to want to work our way to heaven. Remember Cain? He wanted he when he gave his sacrifice to God, he gave the fruit of the ground. The work of his hands. He thought, God will surely accept this. Look at all the work I've done. God's not impressed with our works. And Naaman he would have rather done some great work. So we, so we, uh, then we see the Jordan River. Notice that he tells him to go to the Jordan River. In verse 13 it says, And a servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather when he, than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. The Jordan River, I believe, represents the blood of Christ. Jordan means the river of judgment. I believe, I believe that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, we're going to be clean, and it's because we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We sing that song, Are You Washed in the Blood? And that's why we can stand before God clean some days because we have been washed in His blood. We get to heaven because of the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ, it cleanses us from all sin. And I believe that Jordan River there is a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have to go through that blood to be able to be clean and be able to stand before God pure someday. Notice that he was not able to approach Elisha until after he had been healed. We see there in the end of verse 14, it says, "...and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean." We cannot approach God until after we have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Now we can approach the throne of grace boldly. Naaman didn't get to meet up with Elisha or talk to Elisha until he had washed himself in that Jordan River. He didn't get to. And the same thing is true with us. We have access to God today because we have gone through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so Naaman, after that, he goes and he talks to he talks 
Uh, to Elisha, verse 15, he returned to the man of God, he and all his company, and came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So, uh, Naaman, he goes, he, he's convinced now, boy, he knows. Notice how the Bible says that his flesh, it was as the flesh of a little child. You know, little children, they have, they have very soft, they have very smooth skin. You know why it's like that? It hasn't been through what an adult skin has been through. Ours, it's been, you know, we've been sunburnt many times. It's been cooked by the sun through age. We've got scars and things on our sins. And no doubt, Naaman, I imagine he probably had scars all over the place from all the battles and things that he had been in. But his skin wasn't like that anymore. And the same thing happens when we get saved. When we get saved, it's as though we've never sinned. Naaman, when he got cleansed, it was as though he'd never been sunburnt, though he'd never been in a battle. His skin was like the skin of a little child. And so right here we see a wonderful picture of salvation in this story. But you know what? Something happens afterwards that happens many times after someone gets saved. You know, in the Bible we see a lot of things where God is trying to give a picture of something that is to come. And many times people in the Bible, they would kind of mess those pictures up. They would do something wrong and this would always make God very angry. And so right here, notice that Naaman, he says, Now therefore I pray thee, in verse 15, take a blessing of thy servant. Naaman wants to reward Elisha for healing him. Now that's understandable. Hopefully you want to do things for Christ because He saved you. But notice what he says in verse 17. He says, And Naaman said, Shall there not then I pray thee be given to thy servant two mules, burden of earth? For thy servant will henceforth offer neither burnt offering nor sacrifice unto other gods, but unto the Lord. And this thing the Lord pardon thy servant, that when thy master goeth into the house of Rimmon to worship there, and he leaneth on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Rimmon, when I bow down myself in the house of Rimmon, the Lord pardon thy servant, in this thing. Naaman was worried that he was going to sin again. He was afraid when he got back to his own land that he was going to be tempted and he was going to go in that house of remedy and he was going to bow before that false God again. But you know, when we get saved, it's, it's understandable to worry about sinning again. But we need to have faith that God can help keep us from sinning. I've talked to many people, and when you talk about salvation, they'll start talking about all these sins that they're involved in, sins that they enjoy, sins that they say, I can never give those things up. And I tell them, you just got to, don't trust in yourself, trust in God. He can give you the strength to avoid those sins. And Naaman, he's nervous, but Elisha tells him in verse 19, he said unto him, Go in peace. So he departed from him. A little way. I believe Elisha, he knew that God would give him the strength to take a stand. Okay, Naaman's worried that he's going to go and he's going to bow to his old God again. And Naaman knew that that wasn't a real God, that the only true God was the God of Israel. And Elisha just tells him, go in peace. Don't be afraid. I believe Elisha knew that God would give Naaman the strength to continue doing the right thing. But then somebody comes along that kind of messes everything up. A man named Gehazi. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master has spared Naaman the Syrian and not receiving at his hands that which he brought. 
But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. Gehazi, he saw all those treasures that Naaman brought. And he's thinking that could have helped us so much. Elisha, why didn't you take some of that? And Gehazi's thinking, I've got to at least get something. In verse 21, so Gehazi followed after Naaman. And when Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well, my master hath sent me, my master hath sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of garments and laid them upon two of his servants and they bare them before him. So Gehazi, he, I believe, represents the false prophets that come into the life of many new believers. Gehazi means valley of sight. Many people today, they don't want to have faith. It's all about what they can see. And you've got to have faith. And Gehazi, I believe he's, he represents many of the false prophets and people that come along. We see that all the time where somebody gets saved and I believe they really give their heart to Christ. But then somebody else comes along and kind of leads them astray. I remember when at Lighthouse on our bus route, we had some girls that came on our bus route and they got saved. And I remember we were trying to work on their parents and try to get their parents to come to church and we were witnessing to them all the time. And uh, one day, uh, I was talking to the dad and he's just like, he's like, well, I took your advice. And I was like, what's that? He's like, it's like, we started going to church. I was like, oh, really? And I was confused. I thought maybe he meant they were going to start coming to church. And... I was like, well, well, good. And, you know, and I started talking to him all of a sudden. He's like, yeah. He's like, we've been going. And he names this other church that was a pretty goofy church. And I was thought, ah, that wasn't exactly the church I was talking about. And and these people, they, you know, this church it was real goofy. Taught a lot of weird things. And I thought, good night. You know, here here I've been witnessing to him. Here I've been the one trying to get him into church. I convinced him to go to church. But these other people get him into their church. I thought, you know, that that was sad. I remember another guy that worked with that. Um, there were some other Baptist people in the, in the the workplace that had been witnessing to this guy. He ended up getting saved. And then these charismatic group came along and they got him to start going to their church and they got him all goofed up. And I, I hate seeing that, but you know what? It happens all the time. And here we have Naaman who. Elisha tells him to go in peace, and Naaman. I mean, he's probably going along, and he's probably wor- he's probably worried, but he's but you know what? I believe God was going to give him the strength and the power to do the right thing. And many pe- religions today they teach people that they need to do works to keep their salvation. And many people are content to rely on someone else other than Jesus Christ to keep them saved. Notice how Naaman was anxious to give him those gifts. Naaman, you know, he was probably worried. You know what? Naaman might have even praying, Lord, how am I going to do the right thing when I get back to my land? This temptation is going to be great. And it was only a matter of time before God revealed it to him. But here comes Gehazi along, and he says, you know what? Go ahead and give us some of those gifts. It's, it's for these two prophets. We're going to try to help somebody else. And, and Naaman, boy, he anxiously gives it. He's thinking, oh, this is an easier way out. Here I'm actually given something. And then, and, and the whole reason for giving those gifts is so God would pardon him for the sin that he was thinking he was going to commit. And that is not the way it's supposed to work. That's not right. And Gehazi, 
uh, I believe God was very upset with him. And in verse 24, it says, When he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house, and he let the men go, and they departed. But he went and stood before his master, and Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money and to receive garments and olive yards and vineyards and sheep and oxen and men servants and maidservants? The leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Gehazi was punished for his actions. Just like the false prophets of this world will someday be punished. And I believe they will be punished severely. But the main lesson that we need to learn from this story is to rely completely on Jesus Christ for salvation. It's that simple. Go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Alright, well that seems kind of easy. Alright, I did it. I'm clean, but how am I going to keep from sinning? You know what? Trust God. He'll give you the strength. He'll help you do the right thing. He'll help you make the right choices. Well, that's kind of simple too, isn't it? That's not real complicated. Uh, you know, most people aren't willing to accept that. And that, and Naaman, he, he struggled with that. And Gehazi, unfortunately, after Naaman goes and he gets cleansed and Naaman's on his way, I believe, to do the right thing, Gehazi messes it up. And we're going to see some of that. But you know, we need to make sure we don't let that happen to us. That we continue to have Simple faith in Christ. So I hope this message has been a help to you to just see another example of salvation. There's things like this all throughout the Old Testament that God shows us that are a reminder of what He does for us. And this story is just such a great example of why we need faith and why we need why we need to trust and rely completely on Jesus Christ for salvation. So with that, let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed.